Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. So good to see you today. Is it good to be in church or what? Man, so cool today. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> also, before we uh, get started, uh, this being Veterans Day weekend, I wonder if, uh, if you have served in one of, our, one of the branches of our armed services, if you have served or are currently serving, serving would you stand up so that we can honor you today? Yeah, woo! Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, you know, every May uh, for the past 25 years, I travel to uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and I meet with a group of uh, 25 or so pastors. All of us went through the Doctor of Ministry program at uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. For years, our mentor, uh, Professor Dr. Haddon Robinson, met with us, and uh, all of us have been friends for a long time, and it's just a good time to get away. We'll study through a, whole, uh, study through a book in the Bible, and then we talk about how to preach it. And so one year, several years back, when Haddon was still alive, he's passed on now, but uh, a bunch of us got there a little bit early, and so we all decided to go out uh, to dinner at a local restaurant. There were about 15 or 16 of us, Haddon went with us. So we're at dinner, and, uh, and the waitress walks up to take our orders. Now, you gotta get the scene in your mind. Uh, everybody in the group is about my age, so we're a bunch of aging men out to dinner together. And so the waitress comes up, and she's talking to us. She's working on a good tip that kind of thing. And one of the guys says to her, you know, all of us are in the same pr profession, and so as you come back and forth to the table throughout the evening, why don't you try to guess what line of work we're in? And so uh, it's like, okay, so she goes away. She comes back with salads and soup and that kind of thing. She goes, engineers. And we go, nope, we're not engineers. So she leaves, and she comes back with the main course, and she goes, you're doctors. Well, we are doctors, but we're not that kind of doctor. But, uh, and so the whole time, like, we're just laughing back and forth and wondering if she's going to get it right. And fine. finally, she just gives up. And, and we say, well, we're all pastors. And she looks at us and goes, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and uh, actually, she didn't say that. She said something I can't repeat up here. And uh, so I, I think, you know, we're all laughing. I think she thought we should have collars and crosses on and that kind of thing. But, um, but an interesting thing started to happen uh, as she continued to wait on us throughout the evening. Uh, she starts to open up about her life, and we find out that she's a single mom, and she has a couple of kids, and her husband had left her, walked out on her, and we talked about that a little bit. She was working two jobs, and uh, so uh, during the course of the meal, we, we did get to know her. And w when we finish, she brings, you know, the bill in one of those long black uh, plastic envelope thingies. And Haddon, our mentor, leans in and looks down the table and he says, what do you think, guys? Should we take an offering? So we're like, yeah, absolutely, let's do that. So we all get our wallets and we take out, uh, you know, bills and this kind of thing. We collect over $800 to give to her. So we put it in that little black thingy that, you know, that you put money in and she takes it. 
and uh, there's 20s kind of sticking out, you know, and as she opens it up, a, a bunch of 20s and, and, and 50s fall out, and this is one of those, you know, mess up your makeup kind of moments, and she starts to cry, and she's so grateful, and she's so, she's so thankful, and we're so excited. Like, we are just the happiest group of old men that you ever want to meet. And, uh, and, and so we walk outside and we're going, wasn't that fun? Wasn't that so much fun? And everybody's going, yeah. And wasn't it neat what, just sitting there at the table anticipating her opening that envelope and what, how much fun it was? And it's like, wow, yeah. It was so much fun to give generously like that. Now, let me tell you why it's so much fun for a follower of Jesus to give generously. It's because when we give generously to God's work, God uses that money to change people's lives and to be a part of what God's doing to change people's lives. It doesn't get any better than that, right? I mean, seeing folks like this baptized, like this whole morning, 25 of them, I mean, hearing their stories of life change, it just doesn't get any better than that. Now, as most of you know, we're in a season of our church life where we're sensing that God is leading us to multiply our ministry here to better care for and disciple not only the people that are here, but we're sensing him leading us to expand our ministry to the Adams Mill YMCA to care for and disciple people in the, uh, down there and in that neighborhood down there. And for the last three weeks, we've been asking you to pray and ask God what he would have you give to partner with him in his work here to ask God what he would have you pledge over the next three years to make Adam's Mill, the Adam's Mill opportunity, a reality. And next Sunday, November the 19th, is kind of a defining moment for our church. We've called it Commitment Sunday. And we're asking that next week, by next week, that everybody... Uh, fill out a, a pledge card like, uh, like one like this or register your pledge online so that on November the 26th, we can announce and celebrate together what God has done in our hearts to move us forward to the work that we believe he's called us to do. And by the way, a pledge is not a contract. It's simply a statement of desire and faith of what you intend to do. So if at some point, for some reason, your financial situation changes and you need to adjust your pledge down or up, that's no problem. You just let us know what you're able to give. That's no problem whatsoever. And so we are continuing to pray and ask uh, God that he would speak to us and we're encouraging you to ask him uh, what he would have you give. And then whatever the spirit leads you to do, then uh, let's make our pledges or give our gifts by Sunday, the November the 19th. Now, if this is your first time here, you're kind of uh, coming, uh, coming at a, a special season of life here where we are looking at uh, an expansion of our ministry. But, and what we would want you to know, though, is that if you attend here on a regular basis, that most often on Sunday mornings, we're teaching our way through whole books of the Bible or long passages of Scripture and after the first of the year, we'll be back in our studies through the books of First and Second Samuel, a series that we call Royalty. And this particular go-round, we're going to be looking at king, the life of King David. But right now, we're doing kind of a mini-series focused on the ideas of radical generosity and biblical stewardship. In other words, we're looking at what the Bible says about your money and your stuff. 
And this is an essential topic for a believer, for a follower of Jesus, not because we're in the middle of a capital campaign, but because there's a widely held belief among American Christians, and I'd say it's probably an unconscious belief, but it's there nevertheless. And the, and the belief goes something like this. My financial life has nothing to do with my spiritual life, and the corollary is true as well. My spiritual life has nothing to do with my financial life. My financial life has nothing to do with my spiritual life. My spiritual life has nothing to do with my financial life. Now, <coughs> excuse me. I have to tell you, Jesus has a real problem with that kind of thinking. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, money and stuff are directly related to our spiritual lives and to a growing faith. And we've said this before, but it bears repeating again, that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell, more than prayer, more than the Holy Spirit. In fact, about 25% of what Jesus taught us about God and life and faith focused on our money and our possessions. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, money is always a spiritual issue before it's a financial issue. Because it's a matter of the heart. According to Jesus, our perspective on money is a matter of our heart. And in Luke 12, 34, he says, where your wealth is, there will your heart also be. So to avoid talking about money because people criticize the church for always talking about money or because it's unpopular in our culture today or because people don't really trust organized religion because of all its manipulation and abuses, to avoid talking about our money and our stuff would mean ignoring something that Jesus considers very important to our spiritual growth. Tim Keller, in a message entitled Radical Generosity, puts it this way. The Bible says there can be no significant spiritual growth unless you put your money and your attitude toward it into God's hand. There's no significant spiritual growth unless you put your money and your attitude towards money into God's hands. Now, why is that? Why is that? It's because money is just too big of an issue in our lives and to God to dismiss it. It's too big biblically and practically. I mean, think about it. So many of our problems, so many of our worries and anxieties, so many of our difficulties revolve around money and our attitude toward money. And Keller gives this example. He says, he says uh, if you went to a doctor and you said, doctor, I'm just not healthy. I'm always tired. I'm constantly getting sick. Can you help me? Well, what would the doctor say? Well, she, she would look at you and she would say, well, I'm really sorry to hear that, hear that. Tell me about how you're sleeping. How many hours a night do you get of sleep. And she would probably go on to say, well, tell me what you're eating and how much are you eating? And then she might ask you, well, tell me about your work. How many hours uh, of, uh, are you working? Is your work satisfying? How stressful is your work? Now, now, if you looked at her and you said, now, wait a minute, doctor. <laughs> I mean, you, you just stick to the physical here. Like, I, I don't want to talk to you about my sleep habits and my diet and my personal stresses or my personal problems, that's really not your concern. I need you to help me with your health. Well, what would the doctor say? The doctor would say, well, I can't help you. I'm sorry, I can't help you. And why would she say that? Because all those things are connected to your health. You can't break your life into separate categories 
All those things are interconnected because maybe one of the reasons you're always getting sick is lack of sleep or an improper diet or the constant stress that you're under. And so to treat whatever the illness may be, the doctor has to understand your whole life. And it's like that in our spiritual lives. We go to God because we want God to be the most important person in our life. We go to God because in the gospel of, of God, the gospel of grace, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and we want to experience those blessings. We go to God because out of the life that he's gifted to us, we want meaning and purpose and strength, and we want to experience the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit in our lives. But if you go to God and say, Father, I, I, I want to make much of you, I want to glorify you, I want you to use me in people's lives. I want your love and your strength and your grace and your forgiveness to flow into me and through me. But I want you to leave my money out of it. If that's your attitude, God says, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I can't help you because the, but, but the money and stuff that I've entrusted to you is too big. It's too important to act like it doesn't affect everything else in your life. And biblically and practically, your money and your stuff is much too big, both to you and to God, to dismiss it out of hand. Now, there are many places in the Bible where God gives us both his perspective on our money and our stuff, as well as uh, principles, practical principles, to show us what it means to have God as the major player in our finances. In the last couple of uh, weeks, we've looked at some passages to, that give us God's perspective on our stuff. And we learned some important truths that help us see our stuff the way God sees our stuff. Two weeks ago, uh, we were in uh, 1 Chronicles 29, and we learned that uh, everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything is distributed by God. Everything belongs to God, comes from God, and he gives it away to whoever he wants. And last week, Jason talked about what a steward is. And he said that a steward is someone who manages somebody else's stuff. And we looked at a parable in Luke chapter 16 that Jesus told about a dishonest money manager. And we saw that in that story, the way that God sees our stuff is very different than the way we see our stuff. You could put it this way. God sees everything that he's entrusted to us two ways. One as a tool that helps us make friends that will one day welcome us into heaven. That is exactly what the parable in Luke 16 is all about. That we can use unrighteous mammon, as Jesus would say, to make friends that will welcome us into heaven one day. But then we also learn that money is a test that reveals what's really going on in our hearts. A test to see if what we say we believe about God and our stuff actually works its way out in our lives. Now, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I, it bears repeating, and I wanna revisit, uh, revisit it today, uh, because most Christians say, I really do believe everything belongs to God and everything comes to God and everything is distributed by God to whoever he wants to give it. I really do believe that. And we say that, but at the same time, when it comes right down to generous giving, many Christians hit a wall. And the problem is we're afraid, not so much greedy as, as, as we're afraid. 
And fear has always been one of the greatest enemies of a growing faith because fear has a way of clouding our thinking and obscuring the truth. And when it comes to putting our money and our attitude toward money in God's hands, allowing him to change our minds about being generous with money and the stuff that he's entrusted to us, and I'm guilty of this too at times, but what we, what we want to do is we what if our way out of being generous with the money that God's entrusted to us. Like, well, what if I don't get that bonus? What if I don't get the raise? What if I lose my job? What if the economy goes down the tubes? What if the stock market crashes? What if, what if, what if? And we what, what if our way out of being generous? And what we do without really thinking about it is we say, God, now I'm afraid that something bad might happen that will impact my finances in a negative way. So God, as much as I would like to be generous and as much as I would like to be a good steward and as much as I would like to live as if everything belongs to you, comes from you and is distributed by you, God, I do want to live that way, but I'm afraid of what might happen, so I just need to hang on to what I have just in case. Now, let's be honest. Think about this. If the bottom does drop out of the economy, if there is a major recession coming in the near future, if you did have to take a cut in pay, if you lost your job, if you're someone who has what if your way out of being generous, let me tell you what you would not do. You would not pray this way. Oh Lord, I'm in deep trouble. I lost my job, we can't pay our bills. I don't know what I'm gonna do. But God, uh, uh, I know I haven't really involved you in my finances in the past, so I'm not gonna start asking you for help now. Hmm. Don't worry, I'll figure things out somehow. Now, no way are you gonna pray that way. No, if things get financially tight for you, I guarantee you, you're gonna be knocking on heaven's door asking for help. Like, oh God, I do believe everything belongs to you and I need a little bit of it. Oh God, I believe everything comes from you, so could you send some my way? When the bottom drops out, no question about it, we want God involved in our finances. But isn't there something kind of disingenuous, something kind of hypocritical about the Christian? And by the way, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, you're off the hook. Nothing I say applies to you. You can just sit back and watch the rest of us squirm, okay? But isn't there something just a little bit hypocritical about the Christian who says, God, I'm really afraid about what might happen in the future, so I can't give the way you encourage me to give. But then we turn around and we say, uh, when we need something financially, we say, oh God, send help soon. I mean, isn't there something wrong with that picture? And yet we're all tempted to think that way, myself included at times. Well, this morning I wanna look at a passage of scripture that gives us some practical principles as to how we can invite God into our finances now. So if there is some kind of financial downturn in the future, then you will be able to pray and ask God for help in faith and confidence and have perfect peace that God will supply you with what you truly need. And that's find true financial security. So take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. <coughs> 2 Corinthians chapter nine, beginning in verse six, 
Paul writes, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now let me give you the context for all of this. The Apostle Paul is traveling around and he's collecting money for a special project. The church in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, were having a terrible time financially. And they were suffering persecution and they were experiencing severe economic pressures. And so Paul is going around to all the Greek churches that he has planted and he's collected money, putting together a huge offering that he and some other trustworthy men will carry back to Jerusalem. And the believers who lived in the city of Corinth had collected an unbelievable amount of money for this offering. And you can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul's first letter, 1 Corinthians 16, where Paul had encouraged them to make a plan to set aside a portion of their income to give to God's work when they come to church on Sundays. And they had given generously and sacrificially over and above what they were giving to their own church And they were entrusting Paul to take that back to the Christians in Jerusalem. And these are people that most of them have never met. So Paul writes this second letter to the church in Corinth. And he says, you guys are unbelievable. I mean, you guys are so generous. I don't know what to say other than thank you, thank you, thank you. And and then he says this. And now that you have given so generously, let me tell you how this whole giving thing works. And he explains a principle that many of us don't know what to do with, a principle that's often misunderstood, a principle that the proponents of the word of faith, prosperity theology movement distort. And I'll be honest, it does make me a little bit nervous to preach on this passage because what I'm gonna tell you is so easily misunderstood and abused. And I wrestled with that, but then I thought, Then I thought, you know, I'm not gonna shy away from teaching on the assurance of salvation because some people might misunderstand it. I'm not gonna shy away from teaching on grace because some people might abuse it. I'm not gonna avoid teaching on hell because people might be offended by it. And so I'm not gonna back down from teaching you what the Bible says about generous giving either just because it's so often misunderstood and misapplied. Because what Paul says here is absolutely essential to a growing faith. Basically, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 is, here's how to invite God into your finances. Here's how you put your money and your stuff in God's hands. And so he begins in verse six and he says, the point is, the point is whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will reap also reap bountifully. Now the, now the Greek word bountifully for bountifully comes from the Greek root, which means blessing. So plain and simple, Paul is talking about how God blesses people who are generous givers. Again, you go back and study the context. You can't get around the fact that Paul is talking about being generous with money and your stuff. That's what the whole passage is about, and he's saying this in verse six, that being generous with your money is like sowing seed. Now, I know you've heard many televangelists talk about sending in your seed money. 
to them, and God will make you rich. And I mean, I always, I, you know, when I would hear those prosperity theology preachers on TV or the radio who say, you send me $10, and God will give you back 100 And I'm like, you send me $100, and God will give you 1000 See, you know, like, why doesn't it work that way? But, but you know. Now, I hate how they distort this text and make it sound like a get-rich-quick scheme. That is not what is being taught in this passage. This isn't about giving to get bigger houses or nicer homes or more comfort and leisure or Learjets for the preacher to fly around in. It's not about that at all. But there's no way of getting around the fact that Paul is teaching that in God's economy, in the economics of grace giving, there's a principle, there's a law, like the law of gravity that you might call the law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest governs how believers should think about what they give and how much they give. And the law of the harvest basically says this, you reap what you sow and you reap more than you sow. You reap what you sow and you reap more than you sow. But every farmer knows that, right? I mean, if you sow a little corn, if you sow corn, you get corn. And if you sow a little bit of corn, you get a little bit of corn in a harvest. If you sow a lot of corn, you reap a big harvest of corn. It's a given, it's a law, and you can bank on it because that's exactly what the farmer does. He banks on the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow and you reap more than you sow. And in the same way, God says, if you learn to be generous, generous with your finances, then you can expect to reap a bountiful Harvest. Now look at it. Isn't that what verse six, 6 says? He says, the point is, whoever sows a little reaps a little. Whoever sows a lot reaps a lot. So God has set into effect the law of the harvest, and no one questions whether the law of the harvest works with a field of corn, and God says it also works for finances. So the point is, if you want God involved in your finances, but you're someone who what ifs your way <clears throat> out of being generous because you're afraid of something bad that might happen, listen, then God says the smartest thing you can do is to begin sowing because sowing is an act of faith that invites God to get involved in your finances in a major way. And once you put your finances into his hands and you start sowing, he says, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Why not? Because when you give to God's work, you're not giving something away. You're making an investment. It's not a loss, right? I mean, no farmer who sows seed loses seed. He gains a crop. And so you see, the reason that we're afraid is because, well, we can't control circumstances and we can't control the future and we can't control God. But God says, I know everything that's gonna happen. I know the future. I'm in control. So why not involve me up front? And the way that you involve me up front is in the way that you give. And as you give generously, I will give back to you what you give away. Now here you, you're saying, you mean I could get rich? No, this isn't about getting rich. And we're gonna see that in a minute. But this is about trusting God with your finances so that you're not overcome with worry and fear and anxiety over the uncertainty of the future. And God is saying, again, what you need to fear is not giving. What you need to fear is refusing to sow because every farmer will tell you, you can't expect a harvest if you don't sow your seed, right? 
I mean, what happens to the farmer who says, well, I want a big crop, but I just can't see throwing this seed in the ground. I mean, I won't have any more seed if I throw it all away. I mean, what happens to a farmer that thinks that way? He goes under. No farmer thinks that way because there's absolutely no benefit for a farmer to hoard his seed. No benefit at all. And the best thing a farmer can do what is what? Sow as much seed as possible. And Paul says it's the same with our money and our stuff. Listen, if this whole discussion about God and money and stuff scares you to death, God says the smartest and wisest thing you can do is to learn to be generous because a person who sows generously reaps generously. That's God's promise. And if you take him at his word and you give generously, then there's no reason to be afraid of what might happen. Now, the question is, Okay, okay, Charlie, so exactly, exactly how much are we talking about here? How much is being generous? And that's what he tells us next. And this is a very interesting answer because you can see right away that no ordinary preacher wrote this because this is the most wide open answer to the question, how much should you give that you'll ever hear? Verse seven, each one must give how much? as he has decided in his heart. How much should I give? Whatever you want to give. No, come on, really, really, really. How much should I give? What does he say? Whatever you want to give. Of course, remembering what he's just said, sow a little, reap a little, sow a lot, reap a lot. Then he tells you how to give whatever you decide to give. And he says, give whatever you want But don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it under compulsion like you're feeling pressured to give it. What God wants is a cheerful giver. Now, I think what Paul's doing here, he's setting up this contrast between planned giving and pressured giving. It's like Paul is anticipating somebody in Corinth asking the question, okay, Paul, how much? And Paul says, Uh, Paul says, you need to think about it. You need to pray about it. You need to work out a plan. He says you need to plan your giving. Predetermine some percentage you will give off the top of your income and how much you want to give beyond that. Again, he talks a little bit about that in 1 Corinthians 16. But he's saying, I mean, we're talking generous here, but he's saying plan to give whatever you want to give. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, I'm not telling you this as a command. This is an invitation to trust God. And so that's, that's the point. So, so he, he says, just make sure, and this is important, just make sure that whatever you give, give it with no remorse, no regret, no reluctance, no guilt, no grumbling, not, and don't give because you feel pressured to, because not any of that honors God. God loves it when you give willingly and generously and cheerfully. And he's saying in one sense that the way you give is more important than what you give. For sure, he doesn't want them or us to give out of guilt. You ever hear a preacher say, if you don't give your 10%, God's gonna come and he's gonna take it some other way. Like I grew up in churches like that. Do you hear Paul saying anything close to that? 
Absolutely not. He's saying God doesn't want you to give out of guilt or should or have to. He doesn't want to give you to give because you feel pressured or manipulated to give. He doesn't want you to give impulsively. He wants you to, he doesn't want you to give and grumble about it. Paul says this should be a prayerful thing, a thoughtful thing, a planned thing, something you have considered carefully, taking into consideration how God's blessed you, taking into consideration what God says about sowing, if you sow a little, you reap a little. If you sow a lot, you reap a lot. And he's saying, I can't decide that for you. I can't tell you what generous means for you. You have to decide that. And then whatever the Spirit leads you to do, give that amount cheerfully. So you get along with God and you pray, God, here's my bucket of seed. And you know how much is in it. And God, in light of the fact that you want me to be generous with your stuff, in light of the fact that I want to be a cheerful giver, in light of the fact that I really do believe everything uh, comes from you and belongs to you and is distributed by you, God, would you show me and my family how much we're to give on a regular basis to the ongoing ministry of this church? And then, God, would you show me and my family how much we're to give over and above that to partner with you in this capital campaign and in giving to missions and benevolence and to other ministries outside the walls of the church. Listen, it's that kind of prayer. That kind of prayer is how you invite God to be deeply involved in your finances. That's how you learn to trust God with your finances and your future. That's how you determine what generous giving means for you by seeking God. And that's how generous givers become cheerful givers. Becoming a cheerful giver is the result of going through a careful, prayerful process of predetermining what generous giving means for you. Now, Paul fleshes out exactly what this promise about sowing and reaping actually means in verses 8 through 11, and he tells us why God applies the law of the harvest to our giving. And it has far more to do with God and other people than it has to do with us. Verse eight, look at this. And as a result of your faithful, cheerful, generous giving, and God is able to make all. Now you need to underline every all in this passage if you got your Bible open. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now let me give you my paraphrase of this to give you the sense of it in the plainest language possible. When you give generously, this is God's promise, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, you will have all you need for every good work. Look at it again. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, you will have all you need for every good work. He's saying because of your willingness to give generously in proportion to how God has blessed you, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, say this with me, in all things, at all times, you will have all you need for every good work. One more time. In all things, at all times, you will have all you need for every good work. Now, can you get any more financially secure than that? I hear you. You're saying, well, Charlie, are you, are you saying that if I commit to generous 
pre-planned giving of some kind that God promises that in all things at all times I'll have everything I need for every good work? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. But that's not me saying it, right? Look at the text. That's what God is saying, and that's true financial security. God is saying, now that you're sowing, now that you're giving off the top cheerfully a predetermined amount that you've determined in your heart to invest in what I'm doing, God says, let me tell you what I'm able to do. I'm able to give you all things at any time so that you'll have all you need. Here's the key. Here's the key. So that you can continue to give generously to my work. This is the difference between uh, uh, prosperity theology and Paul's theology of giving. Paul does not subscribe to prosperity theology. He's teaching generosity theology. The promise is not about getting rich for personal gain. It's about getting to be even more generous. This is a promise about God giving you even more opportunities to invest in his work because he knows that when you see people's lives change, it brings joy and happiness and blessing. And it's about God giving you more so that you can invest it in every good work he puts in front of you and tells you to invest in. Paul does not teach prosperity theology. He teaches generosity theology. He's not promising to make you rich. He's promising to replenish what you give away with more. Here's the focus. So you can give more away to God's work. Let me put it this way. This is the big idea. God blesses generous givers so we can be even more generous. He blesses generous givers so we can be even more generous. So what's there to be afraid of? Well, I mean, some of us are kind of like, God, I'd like to give more, but, you know, I want all things when I want them to make sure I always have what I need at all times. That's why we hold out on God. I want things when I want them to ensure I'll always have what I need when I need it at all times. And God says, you're absolutely free to make that choice. He's not giving us a command here. You're free to make that choice, but you know you really can't do that, right? You can't actually make yourself financially secure because there are too many things going on that you cannot control. But he says, I am in control of all things, and if you put your finances and your future in my hands, if you learn to sow generously by giving to my work, I will refill your bucket over and over again because I'm God and I can easily give back to you what you've given away. Just trust me with what I've given to you to manage for me. And when faith overcomes your fear in this area of finance, then God, is a, God says, I'm able to make all grace abound to you so that having all you need at all times, you can continue to generously give to further my mission in the world. And that's why God has chosen to apply the law of the harvest to a Christian's finances. Look at verse nine. As it is written, he quotes this promise from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is full of these promises just like this. Psalm 112, the one who has distributed freely, he who has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed, seed, your money and resources, your seed for what? Look at it. For what? For sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. He says it again, verse 11. You will be enriched. Literally, you will be made rich. And you're going, woohoo, this is, this is it. Yeah, baby, this is what I wanted to hear. Honey, write the check. No, 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 no. Look at it. You will be enriched. Look at it. In every way. Why? To be generous in every way. See it? God will give back what you give away so you can continue to give generously to future opportunities that God invites you to be a part of. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. That's the promise. It is not about personal gain. It's about advancing the mission of Jesus in the world. It's not prosperity theology, but it is generosity theology. Now, let me, let me, I want you to see this in the text. Look at it again. It couldn't be clear. In verse eight, he says, when we sow generously, God replenishes our seed. Why? So we can sow again for every good work that God invites us into. Verse 10, he says, God supplies our seed and multiplies our seed. Why? For sowing, so we can give even more. And in verse 11, Paul says, you will be enriched in every way. Why? So you can be generous in every way. Again, there's nothing in this passage about getting rich for personal gain. God promises to bless generous givers so they can partner with him in the, in, 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 in the work that he's doing in people's lives to change people's lives. So again, big idea, God blesses generous givers so we can be even more generous. So we can be even more generous. And he is saying, if you involve me deeply in your finances, not only am I able to meet whatever needs you might have, but I'll make you this promise. I'll continue to supply and multiply your ability to give generously to what I'm doing to change lives. Now, he talks about how God blesses people through our giving. Look at it. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us, through our giving, will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saint, but it's overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see in this, the people whose lives are changed because of your investment in God's work, the friends you make by investing in God's work, they're thankful for you and your generosity, but even more, they thank God for what he has given to them through you, verse 13. <coughs> By their approval of this service, in other words, by their accepting your generous gift, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all of the others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable, inexpressible gift. This is absolutely mind-blowing. This takes giving to so high, much higher a level. Here's the whole story. Here's the whole story of what he's saying in this passage. Paul is saying when you give generously and cheerfully 
to God's work in changing people's lives. One, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Two, people's needs will be met. And three, God will be glorified through many people giving thanks to God. Are you seeing this? And then he ties everything back to the gospel of Christ, to the grace that we have received in the gospel of Christ. It ties us back to ultimately the indescribable gift, who is Jesus, who is Jesus. Oh, God forbid that any of us would ever think that what we give to support the ongoing ministry of this church or what we give toward a capital campaign, or what we give to missions and benevolence, or what we give to people helping ministries outside the walls of this place. God forbid that we would ever think that what we give away is anything less than giving to God's work to change people's lives, as anything less than making much of God and the inexpressible grace that we've received in the gospel. Fellowship, we are a much blessed people. God's surpassing grace has been poured out on us, on this church, for just at 77 years. And those who came before us, they had to count the cost of what it meant to make room for more people as God was graciously increasing their number. As I've said before, you're sitting in someone else's sacrifice. You're sitting in the seat of somebody else's generosity. And so do you see we face the same question that they faced? We, will we, will you give generously? Will you give sacrificially so that those who come after us will thank God for you like we thank God for those who came before us? That's what it's all about. And we have a unique opportunity this next week as we make our commitments and our pledges to follow in the steps of those who came before us. And we have been, the leadership of the church has been praying for 100% participation. 100% of all of us giving something, not equal gifts, of course, but equal sacrifice, but 100% of us giving something. And what that means for you, what generosity means for you, that's between you and God. You have to pray that through. You have to decide. But like, like Paul, I encourage you to sow generously and cheerfully to what God is doing here. Now, as he continues to draw more and more men and women and children and students into a growing relationship with Jesus, just like we're celebrating today with all these baptisms. That's what we're about. That's the bottom line. Father God, thank you that in your word you're very clear. This is not a hard passage to understand. It is a hard passage to apply sometimes. And I pray that you would give me and that you'd give everybody here and everybody listening to this message, give us hearts willing to trust you as we try to wrestle down and think through what it means to be generous with what you've entrusted to us. And so we look to you to do this work to provide the resources needed to move forward. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.